It's time to get cozy and watch a Christmas movie. Cuddle up with a cutie and watch a Christmas movie. It's a podcast in a queer tree. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Podcast in a Queer Tree, a podcast where we believe in one God and one God only. Her name is Dolly Parton. Hallelujah. In her name, forever shall she be. Gay men. My name is Nicole. <laughs> My name is Scott Marshall. <laughs> we have a special guest with us today to talk about the holiest of all movies from our one true goddess herself, Dolly Parton. Welcome, special guest. Hi. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Emily Davidson. I am first and foremost a fan of Dolly Parton. <laughs> uh, in my um, spare time, when I am not uh, listening to or watching Dolly Parton, I am a visual artist. Uh, and I live here in Chugogtug with, uh, uh, well, next door to Nicole. Welcome. Thank you. We're so That's glad welcome. you could be here. Um, are you a bigger fan of Dolly Parton than Nicole is? Or are you a fan because Nicole is? False dichotomy. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with Nicole. <laughs> we did see Dolly together. We did. Nice. Uh, in Toronto. It was nice. excellent. It was life-changing. Uh, when was this? Yeah, I think we're independent. Uh, we're, we're independent Dolly Parton fans whose love of Dolly Parton blooms together into more Dolly Parton love. Yes. So, so you really found each other, basically. <laughs> yes. Yeah, wow. Yes, we did. Um, if you haven't gathered by now, dear listener, the movie we're talking about today is Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, a 2020 Netflix release, and a blessing to every single one of us. Here is a synopsis from IMDb. An embittered, quote, Scrooge of a woman plans to sell her small town regardless of the consequences to the people who live there. I'm going to go on so many Dolly Parton rants. You can cut them all out if you I kind to. of figured you would. I did not take many notes on this movie at all. I, I watched it last night. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to kick back and enjoy this. And <laughs> Scott's like Nicole and Emily. They got this. Um, okay, let's do bingo cards. Okay, great. Emily, did you get a bingo? I did not. Okay. Did you, what, what notable squares did you cross off? Well, I was happy that original song or performance was on... <laughs> Uh, my car. Yeah, it's a real uh, gold mine. I was deeply disappointed that green screen, <laughs> bad blue screen, ba bad blue screen, yep. was not on my bingo card because it made several you know what, though? in this movie. Mm -hmm. You know what, though? I made notes several times. Um, I was very impressed with the special effects in this movie. Like, because for real, the compositing, the stuff that usually looks so shitty in Hallmark yeah. movies. Mm -hmm. It looked amazing, like great, and they, had, and they had crazy stuff to to do compositioning of, like like Dolly glowing in the sky, like yep, it looked fabulous. I thought, yeah, okay, totally high quality. Yeah. Um, I think maybe since it wasn't on my card, I wasn't remembering that it was specifically bad blue screen. <laughs> I was more so like there were just so many no moments where I was like. 
It's a special effect. <laughs> there definitely are some bad moments. But yeah. um, I, I was just impressed with the good ones. Yeah, some other classics. We had a widower. We had multiple widowers. Oh, yes. Um, a big deadline approaching. Yes. Eviction deadline. Very nice. Um, <laughs> so rough. Uh, definitely, definitely passed the Bechdel test. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, those, those were some of my highlights. I've got a few more, but they're not very notable. Mm -hmm. Scott, how about you? You just did your card five I minutes ago. Did, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and I did sort of get a bingo. Let me just flip back over mm. to, um, so remind me, what's the name of the small town? Fullerton. Fullerville? Fullerville. It's Fullerville. Oh, okay. So I don't get a bingo then. I, I thought it was a seasonal name, but it's not. Well, it's named after uh, Regina. Like, Regina's name is Regina Fuller. Okay. That makes but sense. But it's not like Christmaston. It's not, no. <laughs> it's yeah. not Christmaston. That's right. Okay. So the, the rest of the line where I would have, if, if that had been applicable, uh, I, ha I also had original songs, so that was easy. Um, I had over at home erotic tension. Yes. Um, mainly because of the background dancers. Um, Iconic. Yes. A couple of them in particular. Yep. Um, and I had shirtless guy contrivance, uh, which again, I, I just feel like there, there was one of those in there somewhere. So I marked down shirtless guy contrivance also, but I can't remember. Do you remember? I, it was also on my card. I, I didn't quite understand what it meant, but it's just like, it's, it's supposed to be sort of like, why dumb does that reason. person have their shirt off? A thin yeah, reason a, for a man to be shirtless. Just a dumb reason for a guy to take his shirt off. I mean, maybe happens. the barbers in the first scene, they're pretty like, uh, they're deeply flamboyant. I feel like- I think they just did- This movie is really sleep. kind of, it, our bingo card doesn't really apply to this movie because this movie yeah. doesn't, doesn't even really have a plot per se. It's a musical, it's all songs. <laughs> So, us looking for romantic comedy tropes is not appropriate here. There's no romantic yeah. comedy. It's true. I I mean, I didn't get a bingo either. I got eight squares, which like could have made a line, um, but I didn't. They're very scattered. My, I think my the the only one of note that I'm going to mention is weird transport. And I counted weird transport as Dolly sitting on the cloud. Yes. Very nice, very nice. I, that is weird transport. Yeah. Also when she's tiny and in the car. <laughs> I <think that's>, that's <laughs> a... <laughs> oh, I forgot, she's in the cup holder. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I think that counts as weird transport multiple is, times. The movie is so wild. It's so wild. <laughs> there are so many things I can't help but talk about. <laughs> So, okay, so this movie, my first note, literally at the very top, it's like, it's like on the cusp of the top margin of my page, I will not be accepting criticisms of Dolly Parton. That said, I do think it's important to tell people, if you have not watched this movie, I did not realize this, and it didn't bother me because everything Dolly Parton does, I'm obsessed with, but like, this is a stage musical that has been adapted for the screen. 
So if and, you don't like- And it kind of shows. It is very obviously a stage musical that's been adapted for the screen. It yeah. looks like a high quality, like stage production that's been filmed and put on Netflix. Yeah, so, like, special if you, effects added. Yes, if you um, aren't into actors singing 75% of their lines and turning any sentence into a sing-songy song, you will not like this movie. <laughs> I think more like 95%. Yeah, yeah. It was intense. It's like very, very much a musical. Um, so, uh, my my first note was that, I mean, I grew up watching, like, seventies and eighties Christmas specials, mm -hmm. and this very much reminded me of something that I would have seen in the seventies. Um, just the same kind of tone where everything is very bright and optimistic and colorful. Um, and, you know, the songs, the choreography, it's directed by Debbie Allen, for Christ's sake. Like, tell us about, tell us about Debbie Allen, Scott. From Fame, the, from the movie Fame. <laughs> she, you know, there's a lot of, like, big Broadway people in this. Yeah. Treat Williams, um... Debbie Allen herself. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just looking for the actor's name. Jennifer Lewis, um, who is the uh, the lady with the hair salon. Oh, Marjolene. Yeah, she is amazing. These are all like basically Dolly got all these big Broadway reliable people to these heavy hitters to come in and take basically every key role. And yeah. I mean, it's just no matter what direction you're looking at, it's like amazing talent everywhere. Yeah. Like, it, it, like what, what did this cost? Oh, that's a great question. Like, what was the budget for this from Netflix? That's a great question. It must have been quite high because it was like very, like very high production value. Yeah. Another head scratcher that I'll throw out there is why is everyone still dancing while they are getting eviction notice? <laughs> That's how they, how they the express musical? their anger. Like, so I also grew up like deeply into, into movie musicals. Uh, we watched mostly like Music Man, Oklahoma, Sound of Music, these kind of like big musical standards to the point that when my sister saw E.T. as a young child, she was like, but where are the songs? <laughs> <laughs> and, and my parents were like, well, there's music in it. And she's like, but why aren't are they singing? <laughs> why isn't E.T. singing? Because she like, she couldn't, she didn't have a concept for any televised thing that didn't include singing because like um, all the kids shows, all the movie mu musicals, it's just like, that was part of what happened on the screen. Um, so I'm, I'm very familiar with the like form and tone, but even within that world, I feel like the opening number is so jarring because like, if I was directing a movie musical where people got eviction notices, they wouldn't be like 
sashaying out in their khakis, they would be like <laughs> moving slowly or like, you know, artfully crumpling in despair. Like, <laughs> but they're not, they're back flipping all over the town square. Yeah, I just, I found that part like a little bit, like, I was like, just kind of overwhelmed by the choices in that opening number. Very there's a, overwhelmed. There's a, there's a phrase they used to use to describe Steve Jobs. They'd say that he had a reality distortion field and that anyone who dealt with him was just sucked into his magnetism and he would convince you of, of anything. And that's what Christine Baranski has in this movie. <laughs> Because she is giving them the worst news at Christmas, unreasonable news. Like, they don't yes. have to be out the next day. It's crazy. Yeah. The whole thing is crazy. Yeah. But everyone, it's Christine Baranski, and she is just, she literally carries this movie on her shoulders the yep. entire time. Like, well, her and Dolly. Yes. But she has the heavy lifting to do, really. But Dolly's heavy lifting is delivering every memorable song. Yeah. Because. That, that's probably the one criticism I do have with this, is that the songs are all book numbers. You know, They're like, all? Book numbers. Like, there's no, there's no hits, really. Right. But Dolly delivers the strongest songs, I think, by far. For sure. Opening number is a combination of, like, meeting all the characters in town. So, for example, the post- the post officer, the postman, what are they called? Postal worker? Postman. Wow. Uh, the postman is like, oh, did you hear? Mrs. Hampton forgot to put figs in the figgy pudding. Ha 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 ha! In the midst of the song. I so thought that like, was oh. just some weird old dude that she encountered in the street. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize he had a job. Yeah. And later in the movie, he throws out another, like, hey, other main character, did you know that this thing happened? Like, he's sort of like the town crier in this movie. The weird exposition guy. Yeah. And, you know, we meet the main characters, or, like, two of the main characters, this married couple, uh, and the quote from Pastor Christian, the Christian pastor. Oh, yes. That's a real sentence that actually makes sense. Says, fertility treatments are better than any gift on paper. Which is like sweet and and I'm sure very I've true. Got to agree. Which is, is, <laughs> is also like very very heavy-handed. I mean, everything in this movie is heavy-handed. Yes, yes, yes. the movie. But along with meeting these main characters and sort of people about town, um, we are seeing Regina Fuller, Christine Baranski, and her magnetic self handing out these unreasonable eviction notices. And we also learn that her father died six months ago. It's pretty jam-packed with information and also dancing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on. She is essentially Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes. She is Ebenezer Scrooge. Exactly. Um, at some point in this opening sequence, someone says the line, Merry Christian Pastor Christmas. Mm, yes, the, the personal assistant. <laughs> my, my personal favorite character. The one who's getting her wings. Yes, mm -hmm. the angel in training. I know um, that actor from something, but I can't think what. Mm. Um, I really liked Merry Christian Pastor Christmas. That made me laugh out loud. 
Um, so then, do we, do either of you remember, do we segue immediately into the beauty salon? Is there any song break or the song continues into the beauty salon? Where my, we meet? My Marjorie. memory is that there's the opening number. There's a bit of conversation, isn't there, between the pastor and his wife? Well, there's the, I, I can't remember if the pastor and his wife's duet, their, if their duet comes before the scene where, um, the the hair the hair salon up up at at uh, Regina Fuller's mansion. The note that I have is um, we we meet Regina and then the next number is the the pastor and his wife. No, it's a couple who are expecting a baby getting evicted. So yeah, that's the pastor and his wife, and she said yeah. you'll you'll get a hefty check to ease the friction. Yeah, which is quite a lie. But yeah. hey, Ransky can do it. She can do it. Um, okay, so I, I think the beauty salon is my next note. <clears throat> so my note yes, is the, ho the, ho the homos are here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, this that is my next note. That, that, yeah. my, my note is holy shit, the gay dudes in this salon. Oh, yeah. So, well, and I, I have a strong yeah, argument. Somebody in the editing room was like, it's been eight minutes and there's still no. Um, no gay dudes. And, and thank goodness. I like to think Dolly was like, it's exactly. been eight minutes exactly. and the gays haven't shown up yet. Yeah. Um, I also, I will be making this argument for the entirety of the movie that uh, Marjolaine is coded as gay. Mm. It's never explicitly said, but I think she's gay. Mm. Um, well, there, there's, she does a lot of like, I was the first woman to do this. I, I was the first woman mayor. I, you know. She was the first female mayor of Fullerville, Fullerton, Fullerville. Mm -hmm. She was the first female business owner on Main Street. She's like this like record-breaking, groundbreaking like female figure in the town. And I think she's also a lesbian. Um, there's also a quote in in the beauty salon scene: "The higher the hair, the closer to the North Pole." Whoa! Which, of course, is a variation on the quote: "The higher the hair, the closer to God," mm -hmm. which I believe is a Dolly Parton quote. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Which I like. As I heard that, and I I might have like yelped for joy. I was so pleased that that made it in. <laughs> Um, I have a note, Regina has a broken heart and a dark past. Yes. Mm. Well, we'll find out about that more later. Extremely dark past. I have a note that I was weirdly into the preacher of this wife. Oh, interesting. Are you like, you're like, hello, I'm your unicorn, Scott. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I liked her. I liked yeah. her. He was insufferable. Yeah, she seemed like the, the cool one. Yeah. What did you think of Pastor Christmas? Mm. I didn't think he made for much of an activist pastor. No. <laughs> They're trying to like sell yeah. this like the movement to rise up against Regina. And then they're like having like that brainstorm session. We'll get into that later, but I feel like he I think it was his first rally. I think it was his first organizing. <sighs> yeah, he's but a baby the, activist. Like, if he's a baby activist, why is he the leader? <laughs> Clearly, Marjolaine has more experience than he does. Yeah, she's a trailblazer. That that is actually an excellent question. Like, the, it, it's like 
they're defaulting everyone looking to the, the authority, the guy in authority to, to lead yeah. them, I guess. I mean, I think if, if I like dig a little bit deeper, I would say that it's like a, a like a throw out or a commentary on like the church as being the center of community, the yeah. church playing a leadership role, like this movie is like overtly Christian, which is like not to say the least. Yeah, it's like very Christian, yeah. um, which like you know is what it is. But I think I think that's supposed to be what we're what we're latching onto there. Um, I was watching this uh, via Netflix party with some of my pals from a book club. And uh, one of my friends, <clears throat> whenever the Dolly Parton, like homeless Dolly Parton angel was trying to get change out of Regina, uh, my friend asked via the chat, I wonder if change has a double meaning. <laughs> I don't know, I guess we'll, I guess we'll find out. Um, I, upon the conclusion of this, film, I realized that um, if you were into a drinking game, you could make it a drinking game every time someone wearing khakis leaps. <laughs> and I think as we're kind of concluding our conversation about the opening um, vignettes, you would already be plastered. <laughs> so, oh, even the dogs are evicted. There's like a oh, little wagon. Yeah. The wagon with the dogs, they have an eviction notice on them. <laughs> yes, yes, poor dogs. She is ruthless. Ruthless! I know. She, you know, she's working through some shit. Um, so then we go to Regina's palace, I call it. Um, and she ignores a phone call from her doctor. We're like, what's that about? She hits ignore. Her doctor's calling her. She doesn't want to talk to her doctor. Right. Um, Margeline shows up. Um, we find out that they were best friends in high school. And she's also been summoned to Regina's palace to do her hair, even though Regina just evicted her. <laughs> um, we also learn the name of Regina's high school sweetheart, which is Carl, who still lives in town. Two and... Yep, runs a store. Treat Williams? Is Treat it? Williams, yeah. Getting a haircut from someone you've just evicted is a terrible idea. Okay, I'd like to say that though it was present in the first set of vignettes scene opening song, when we move to this scene, I think that's when he, I like very firmly noticed that even more than like any other movie I can remember this this is like um actors using props in its most <laughs> raw form can you explain so, what actors using props is so um my sister who is a theater technician um has this phrase called actors using props to describe when actors uh, on stage or screen are doing something that's supposed to look realistic but they are so they're really missing the mark of what they're supposed to be doing and it becomes especially clear if you happen to know how to do the thing that they're supposed to be doing so iron man is like soldering his mask and if you know how to solder you're like 
wow, you're not soldering your mask, Iron Man. Or like when people knit and there's like banging sticks together. Yeah. So <laughs> actors using props is the most uh, insufferable to, to the viewer who knows how to do the activity the actor is portraying. Gotcha. Um, I thought that this was an all-time low of actors <laughs> using props. Oh, no. Like, the, the way that uh, she's handling, like, with Marjolaine is handling, like, the, like, crimping iron and the rollers and the, the mask and the cucumbers, like, it is just... Uh, train wreck. It was like, not convincing, huh? I didn't even know. <laughs> I, like, I could notice nothing else. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, you're an awesome Broadway singer? I noticed that. And I was like, what is happening? You're not an esthetician in real life. <laughs> well, not even just not an esthetician, but I felt like the song form actually made the actors using props even worse than it would have been in a scene where they were doing that like mm. I feel like Marjolaine the actor if she'd done like a screen test where she's like okay now use this um flat iron on someone's hair she would have just like used a flat iron like a normal person right <laughs> but she's like <laughs> like whipping she's... around the flat iron like singing throwing her head back and like in the end she leaves like you can tell that the hair that she's working on is a wig because it keeps moving. <laughs> and I like when she's teasing it out at the end and kind of like finishing the song and then it's like kind of gives this like you can fix your own hair like exit. It's like just before that it's like the hair is like rocking back and forth <laughs> so obviously and like I think that Regina's hair is real in the other <laughs> scenes. There's no reason to, it doesn't look like a wig any other time. That, like, I'm sure it was just like, don't hurt my real hair with this <laughs> wild approach to hairdressing, Probably. singing, and fighting. <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> not clue into that at all. Actors using props. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the most the most egregious actors using props uh, to date in my wow. in my to my knowledge. I, I feel like this is there's there's a bit of a, a problem like an actor who's used to doing that on stage and having to be big, and then mm -hmm. they get onto the small screen and they're like, you could dial it back a bit, but nobody told them to. Yeah, so they're, <laughs> they're like, nope, just keep the exact same energy you've been doing. I think that applies to everyone in this movie. No yeah. one oh, told yeah. them they weren't on a stage anymore. Nope. nope. <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing it big time, which is fine. It's, you know, every, yeah. everyone's doing it, like you said. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is, it's like it's working in the world. Yeah. yeah. It just becomes what the movie is. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it's at this point, or it's in this scene, where uh, Marjolaine, I forget, I didn't write down the context because things happen so fast in this movie, I didn't have a chance, but in this scene, the two of them are having a conversation about something, and it, they're not talking about romance at all, but Marjolaine says in response to something Regina said, I don't see you that way. And I was like, hmm, what way don't you see her? <laughs> Mm-hmm. That was my first, that was my first, uh, I'm not gonna say queer baiting because there isn't a big reveal at the end that she is or is not gay, no. but that was my first, like, hint. 
Um, so then we move back to the town square. Are we done with the hairdressing scene? Everyone good? Where's the, I, I forget where this comes in, uh, a line about an emergency button. Oh, oh that's much later. Is it? It's okay. very funny. I wrote that down too. Right. It's a very funny moment. Um, so then we move to the town square. Um, Christian, the Christian pastor named Christian, uh, told God a white lie for the better good. He told Regina that the governor and someone else, the press mm. maybe, were like getting involved in her eviction right. time, um, which is not true. But he's like, hopefully God will forgive me a little white lie. Uh, and then Regina goes into Carl's store, which is sort of a like general store, oddities store. He like saves people's memorabilia um, that they're ready to not have in their lives anymore. It's like a collector's paradise, basically. Um, my first note in Carl's store, Carl still thinks about that night. At this point, we don't know what that night is, but we know that there was a night that he's thinking about. Um, Carl has a bunch of her dad's stuff and he knew Regina's dad really well and has some like nice things to say about him. Have the they had a flashback with the dad and, and young Regina yet? No, no, not at this point, I don't think. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, for some reason, the general store is called Prairie View General Store, where memories have a second chance. Okay. I don't, I don't really know why it's called that. I um, feel like I really liked the second half of Carl's memory song. Like, I feel like the part that he was singing while Regina was in the store was a bit like, kind of like a hokey version of memories. He's like, take this bear, blah, blah, like, mm -hmm. um, but then the second half like, was really poignant. I mm. was I was like, oh, okay, this has like, it had some surprising depth where he's kind of talking about how the memory, like that you don't just get to keep happy memories, mm. you have, have with you the hard memories as well. And I, 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 it was kind of like the first moment where there was like, a, a breath or like a mm. like an emotion other than frantic energy <laughs> <laughs> so yes carl has this poignant song that's quite uh, well half a poignant song half a point i mean it, go it goes on for a very long time i lost interest part way through that song i'm not gonna a lie lot, a lot of these numbers are half poignant basically yeah I didn't get the poignant part of that song because I think I tuned out a little bit by the time it got poignant, so I'm glad that you didn't. Um, this is also where we learn that uh, Regina's dad, quote, created the town, mm. whatever that means. Mm. But like the ta that was at the point, at least, that I clued into the fact that... As if there was some kind of mission or colony. Yeah, it's a bit... I don't really know what that what? means. Like, how is uh, it that... Cre I mean... Christine Kaminsky yeah. can supposedly come in and sell the entire town. Like, how does that work? This is a note that I have. Is it normal for a town to be owned by one person? Shit's Creek? Yeah, I know. I was just like, thinking like, like, the plot Shit's of Shit's Creek is around them buying the town. They own mm. the town, and then they're going to sell the town. But, like, and, like, in this case, it's, like, 
Like they all they all went from Mr. Fuller, who like made the town. And I like this seems creepy. Well, like, I mean, that, that is what used to happen way, way back in like gold rush days or something. You would a mining company would create a town, a company town. You bought all your supplies at the company store, you were paid in company script, and everything was just this kind of closed system. Why that would exist in wherever they are in the like Midwest America, I assume like Kentucky or someplace. Um, they are in the Midwest because when we get to the wickedest witch in the middle, that's that's what that's supposed to mean. Like I found that that song very confusing until I was like, oh, they mean like in the middle of America. Yeah, and I think there's a there's another reference when the when in the hospital scene when the doctor gets flown in. Um, oh yeah, right. From. So there's there's some there's some references, but yeah, I think they're supposed to just be in like kind of like Midwest. It, I thought it sort of thought it's like this this whole line that she was gonna build Cheetah Mall there. I thought it was like so funny because like, has anyone in this world heard of the Mall of America? No, it is already the biggest mall, and it is already in the middle of America. <laughs> well, I think I feel like they wanted the most like abhorrent possible like besides just a parking lot it's like well we need a parking lot for something so what's like equally as terrible an idea to like raise this adorable tiny charming picturesque village and make it into a mall yeah, yeah I, I mean it's, it's like a second rate mall it's even worse <laughs> i i mean i think that's what, like i i'm sort of like yeah it's just supposed to be evil but like not the kind of evil that would be like and i'm building a uranium mine <laughs> <laughs> no that would be amazing <laughs> oh my god she's building a, a golden eye bond villain lair <laughs> she could do it christine bransky could do it she's literally one of america's best actors she's amazing um, so, uh, Regina leaves Carl's store. He, like, refuses. He's, he just sort of, like, stonewalls her. She's like, I'm being generous to you. I'm going to give you all this money. You know, she's sort of, she's taking the, like, gentle, soft approach because they have this, like, dark past that we don't exactly know about yet. And he's like, I'm not interested. Like, you, you're better than this. All these things. So she's flustered because Carl's, like, the Discovery only person. says, what happened to that girl I used to know? Something, yeah, something like that, exactly. Um, So then she gets in her fancy car, which is covered in protest posters. um, Resist Regina, is that what they say? Yeah. Um, So she's all... Weird campaign. Resist Regina. What about evict Regina? Yeah, Yeah, in the small town. Um, So then the Dolly Angel uh, intervenes. The Dolly Angel shows up and alarms... Regina and Regina almost runs over her doctor. Right. And the doctor says, You've been avoiding my phone calls. There was a shadow on your brain scan. Oh shit. Yes. I, so, I actually had a note at that point asking, Does Christine Baranski keep seeing Dolly Parton because she has a brain tumor? Oh, well, that's what she thinks. Yeah. That's I think, I think, well, this is like upcoming in the, in the next scene where. Ben Dolly visits her at her home. Yeah. We really start to explore the 
is this this hallucination brain tumor. Yep. Uh, which includes my favorite line of the whole thing. Um, I hope if I have another hallucination, it's not wearing rhinestones. <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, the aforementioned uh, line about the um, emergency about button. Emergency. That's not an emergency button, that's a sucret. <laughs> She just like points to what is clearly like an open like lozenge like bubble pack with like a single red sucret sitting on the table. That was my uh, that's my product placement. My mm. product placement. Really nice. I didn't check off blatant, blatant product placement because in the bar scene later, uh, they're really like. They don't show anything. Like, in fact, they're like the child bartender. We'll get to this later. Oh, is that was so weird. <laughs> is decanting this chocolate milk? Um, no, no. It, yeah, chocolate milk from a glass into a smaller glass, and um, like they have like a bulk container of pretzels. Oh yeah. Holding in a pretzel bowl so that we don't see what brand of pretzels they are. So I I sort of felt like this was like anti-product placement. Except for Sucrets. Sucrets, they paid their money. Had to get that Sucret line. You know what, it was worth it. That Sucret line was very good. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about Sucrets in 20 years probably. And now they're top of mind again. So money well spent Sucrets, well done. I don't even know what a Sucret is, but I'm like, I need them. It's like a throat lozenge. Yeah, right. Um, so Angel Dolly, Heaven's Messenger. I have a note. Will there be three Dolly ghosts? Ooh! That seemed there. to be where they were going. They didn't quite, it didn't really quite work out that way, I don't think, did it? I feel it's, like they didn't want it to be a, like, exact copy of, no. of it's a not Christmas, Christmas Carol. A Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol Dickens. It's yeah. not really that close like yeah. it's there are some certainly some similarities but it's not a beat for beat match to that story um so at this point dolly the angel dolly ghost is telling regina about how much her dad what's her dad's name did either of you make note of that it's like miles or something i thought her dad was a total ding dong so i didn't really pay that much attention to him we'll get to that um, but her dad really loved the Scottish parable of the lamplighter. Mm. Um, so Dolly's like talking about the Scottish parable of the lamplighter. And I think, <laughs> is this where we have our first flashback? Yeah. And like the, the whole lamplighter thing is also bringing home for me, like, why does this guy own this town? It's like, like he's sort of playing like town god. Like I'm going to be up in my mansion and I'm going to like enjoy every night when They'll light the lamps. Like, it's like, I think we're supposed to feel like this is romantic. And I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. Like, this guy right. owns this town and he's sort of playing town landlord like it's his own little doll set of people. Yeah. yeah. I I was deeply not into this, like, the whole lamp light lighter parable aspect well and i think this brings up this wasn't my point this was one of my book club pals brought this up but i like really am clinging to this now this like we're supposed to i think feel like the dad is like such a sweet guy he was like the the king of this town he was so nice to people he was so well liked 
And one of my pals was like, if he was such a good guy, he would have like sold people their properties. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have left them in this like super precarious state of like immediate homelessness at the hands of his daughter. And I'm making sure he didn't expect that his daughter would do this. And but he wouldn't he have put, forced like, his daughter to... Yeah, he put like no protections in place for the people he supposedly loved so much in this town. Well, and we see in this in the flashback and then it comes back at the end of the film, like keep the rents low to keep the people happy. I'm like, sell the people there. Yeah land like stop stop trying to like frame landlords as like magnanimous holy like charitable people well yeah and she's already committed to this idea that she's going to give everybody payouts that are handsome yeah and which there was a great part um back in the uh hair hairdressing scene margeline where margeline is like yeah, you know that that payout looks handsome until you actually try to relocate. Yeah. And I was like, yes! Um, but I think that the... Um, yeah, I was I was really disappointed. I thought that the ending was going to not go back to... Like, I thought it was going to be like, and my Christmas gift to you is everyone gets to buy the town! Oh, yeah. Um, well, we'll, we'll get to the end. We'll get to the end. Yeah. Anyways, um, I, I I agree. I was gonna wait till later to bring that up, but then you started talking about this whole purchaser, yeah, landlord you can, relationship. You can do this in any myself. order; it makes no difference. <laughs> Apparently, it makes a difference to me. I'm sorry. Please continue. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, so I have a sort of a similar note. The parallels between this movie and The Grinch are quite uh, mm. are quite noticeable. Ooh, the up on the hill. Exactly. She's perched up on the hill. So in this scene, she's like looking overlooking the town and it's very the Grinch staring down at Whoville from his like grumpy cold soulless cave um I also have a note that Dolly floats on a flawless cloud chair in this scene flawless oh I really did like that cloud chair the as cloud well chair so good all those effects um, around Dolly were very impressive I have another uh, Grinch reference that I think this note that you're looking up on your phone is going mm -hmm. yes. to mesh well with. I know she was in the Grinch. Yes, exactly. That's what I was just double checking because I, um, because so she plays Martha May Hoover. Hoover. Yeah. Christine Baranski is in the Grinch as like I think like the mom of the tiniest who Cindy Lou Who. Yeah. Cindy Lou's mom. Um, but I feel like that forever changed my, like, the way I see, uh, Christine Baranski's face. She always looks like a who to you now. Just a little bit. Yeah. Like, her, her nose just has this really nice kind of sloped shape yeah. that I, that they accentuated with her who makeup and, uh, like, what do you call that? Like, when they put extra parts on your face with makeup. Like appliques. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I feel like they really accentuated it, but it, it, it still is there in the structure of her face, this like very Whoville face. Yeah, I get vapors of that too, for sure. They did her, They did such a like, I'm not going to say realistic, but they really worked with her face as it was mm -hmm. and like really accented what was already there. Mm. Um, so the next scene is we go to the church 
And this was the scene that I, you referred to earlier that I called No Bad Ideas in Brainstorming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the gay couple from the hair salon is in the church. This, this, these homos are dancing in the church. I love it. We've got like more khaki, men in khakis. <laughs> leaping. <laughs> leaping men in khakis, leaping yeah. Khaki. There's some very nice stained glass in the church. Mm. I noted that. Um, this is the Wicked Witch of the Middle song. Yeah. So there, this song is like a combination of like Wicked Witch of the Middle, which I thought was like clever and cute. And a lot of, a lot of really kooky ideas about what they would do in the no bad ideas in brainstorming, like how they want to take revenge on Regina. Um, their town meetings. Is this what all their town meetings are like? It's just a giant sing-along. It was like Gilmore Girls, the music. I was just thinking it's like Gilmore <laughs> Girls, yeah. I, I thought that as well in this scene and also the opening scene because the town square is very reminiscent of the Stars Hollow yes. soundstage. Yeah. Exactly. Um, there's a very funny line, I b believe by Marjolene. Um, Regina comes in to the middle of this like town meeting um, and Regina is, she's sort of defending her action, her past actions of like slowly selling away pieces of the town over time before this big mass eviction. And Regina says um, that you know, she was like, oh, I was selling, some of the land I sold was like empty lots that was, that were just sitting there. And Marjolene says, those were parks, Regina. This <laughs> 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 is a really good one-off line. Nice. <laughs> Made me laugh out loud. Um, so Regina is very, she's furious. She's moving up the eviction timeline. People yes. have to be out by tomorrow, which is Christmas Eve. They have to be out of their homes on Christmas Eve. Um, there is a song, I believe, after Regina leaves, um, Marjolene sings the line, uh, I've chased after rainbows and captured one or two. Mm. Have you now? <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> Haven't we all, Marjolene? <laughs> Um, this is also the end scene to make another really, I think, po uh, poetic Grinch parallel. The end of this church scene is everyone in the church standing in a, like, spiraling circle, mm. swaying back and forth, holding hands and singing, much like the Who's in Whoville. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, yeah. nice reference. Thank you. All right, are we ready to make sense of the scene in which there's an eight-year-old bartender? <laughs> yeah, so Regina is like I mean, feeling- we try. <laughs> she goes into the bar, the jolly lamplighter, of course, the lamplighter parable is back. Yeah. Um, she goes into the bar and Violet, the eight-year-old, greets her. I mean, my only phone note is, what? <laughs> like, I definitely enjoyed the conversation in parallel. Both these people who lost their mothers when they were young and were raised by their fathers, and they're having this, like, um, you know, the, the back and forth song I thought was, like, actually quite playful and fun. I, I think this interaction could have taken place in a non-bar. Like, I, I found, or like, maybe if she was like 15, like, it was just too much. Or just and then, 
you know, have have her encounter the girl in her own home, and she's pretending to have a bar that she's at, like a tea party, basically, and it's all like in a in a children's context, as opposed to she's tending her father's bar because he's at a resistance meeting, right? <laughs> I believe that was the explanation, yeah. and everyone's yeah. just like, yeah. Sure, makes sense. <laughs> the uncle's like, chill, I'm on my phone. So, okay, I I hear both of you. This is obvious, this is a thing that happens in movies and musicals for the sake of, like, plot. I would say, in defense of this move, A, why would Regina ever be in this person's house? Mm, because sure. her dad hates Regina. Everyone hates Regina. Regina. The only reason this young child doesn't hate Regina is because she doesn't know it's Regina. She doesn't know what Regina looks like. Um, I, I, think, she did know. I think she knows who Regina is, but she doesn't know that this that person in front of her is Regina. Um, we find out at the end of this scene uh, that Violet's mom died because Regina closed the drugstore in town and her mom had to drive to a neighboring town to get medicine for Violet, who was very sick as a child, very like toddler baby, and then died on the drive. And at Christmas. At Christmas. And that's a very dark realization. Regina's yeah. horrified. She's like very upset by this. Yeah. Um, there's some dark stuff in this movie. There's some legit dark stuff. In a weird way, it, it also reminds me more of the old 70s style TV movies where you would just introduce this really dark element in passing. And you'd just be like, oh, okay. And you know, it basically just instantly adjusts your worldview and, yeah. and, you, and you keep going on. But yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm. I'm passively responsible for killing your mom. Oh. Yeah. Meanwhile, Debbie Allen's choreographed this thing in the background. <laughs> it's, it's it's weird. Yeah. And I feel like the like I feel like at this point in the movie, this is like I feel like this is the first big surprise or reveal. Like I feel like the other reveals were like a little bit too hinted to, like the past with the with the um now antique store boyfriend we're sort of like we can see those what's coming but all of a sudden we're like okay you're responsible for this eight-year-old's mother's death and that's hitting you really hard and then and then i like i think the i don't know if it comes directly afterwards but the reveal that the pa is an angel in training i was just like the nonsensical hits just keep coming. We've got an eight-year-old tending bar. We've got a PA who's an angel. We've got a, like a convoluted like responsibility for death. Like boom, boom, boom. And like I feel like from here on to the end of the movie, it's just like anything we want to throw in there. Like we got a, we got a basket, and we're just gonna start throwing in content and seeing what sticks. Yeah, it's true though. Like yeah. there's that probably the hit, the probably probably my one serious complaint about this movie is the fact that there is so much just goofy shit, goofy shit after goofy shit. Fine, it's a musical, and then it, Violet winds up in the hospital, 
Yeah, it gets really serious. Definitely serious. And they've got to, and I mean, it's up until that point, I guess it kind of makes sense because up until that point, Christine Bransky is just doing more and more insane, terrible shit to people. Yeah. And you're like, how is she going to pull out of this? How is she going to redeem herself? Yeah. So the first thing she does is be like, get me the best pediatric neurosurgeon here, stat. And nobody's like, it's Christmas, Christine Bransky. <laughs> And Christine Baranski is like, I'm fucking Christine Baranski. I yeah. can do anything. Fucking get it done. Mention my name. Yeah, exactly. We'll get it done. Um, and um, that's and that's really what it takes. Like something like that, and then all the she starts kind of trying really hard to to uh, make up for what she's done. But I mean, I don't know if any other actor could have pulled that off. Well, I think the total changes in this movie are like kind of similar it's, it's like whiplash isn't it it it's too much and i think that that's part of what makes them the movie like like it makes it hard to watch and like similar to my like criticisms of the opening scene where there was just like way too much going on visually and like way too many scenes within a scene like way too many people still dancing and pirouetting as they're receiving like really frustrating, devastating, and, like, life, life upheaval news. Um, like, I feel like you can do a musical with heavy content, oh, yeah. and you can do a right. musical with lively, jovial uh, one-liners, but this tries to do both, and then it ends up being, like, so disjointed. Like, I, I kind of like the part of the movie where we get into these like deeper emotional questions. I, you know, I like cried. I, but I didn't feel like the joy in the movie was like crying joy. Like, so I feel like it's like, it's, it's emotional arc was so uneven throughout the time that I like, I just sort of come away being like, what was that? <laughs> I think I had a note in here somewhere about it was when it when Mac like he's there and he's in like his undershirt or something and I'm like is does he think he's in a Tennessee Williams play right now? Oh, maybe that was the shirtless contrivance that we. Oh, down. probably. Yeah, probably. Must have been. Yeah. So anyway, it was just yeah, it's it's so all over the place tonally. Yeah. And it, it kind of makes you wonder what it would have been like to see the show, like, on stage. Because um, I, I feel like it's, there's some stuff, some just energy or something is getting lost in translation to the screen. Mm. It only really ever lights up for me, sometimes with Bransky, because she's so great, always with Dolly. But Dolly is not on that much. It's true. How old is Dolly Parton, by the way? Oh my god, I'm so glad you asked. I <laughs> believe that she is 78. Wow. She is close to 80. If not, she's 80. Let if me... you told me she was in her late 60s, I would have believed you. She was born in 46. So she's 74 or 75. So she's, yeah. yeah, not quite as close to 80 as I thought. She's in her late seventies. For someone who has had her life, she's in good shape. She's doing great. 
Um, so we, we learn a few things. We don't need to dwell on these, but just for the, the sake of uh, proficiency here, we learn that Felicity is an angel in training. Yes. Wow. And um, So now it's also It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. With an apprentice angel. Is that the plot of A Wonderful Life? It's part of the plot of It's a Wonderful Life. Right, so we're like, basically we're seeing all of the Christmas movies all at the same time, which I think is also part of why it's jarring and jumbled. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, it's a lot. Um, so the, I think one, one thing we do really need to talk about because it's like an amazing scene and important to the plot is the flashback mm. to the school dance. That is a, wild. A, because the time, the like period clothes, the hairstyles, the dancing is amazing those young actors they cast they're really well cast it's an it's a great scene i loved it it was very i was very into the like professional dancing at a high school mm -hmm. uh high school dance i was also kind of like yeah you did it you got the high school dance scene <laughs> like all movie musicals need a like social dance yeah that oh people spectacularly dance at yep so young Baranski, she has a crush on Treat Williams, and there's a misunderstanding. Well, I think they're dating. Yeah, they're dating, but she sees him show this ring to another girl. To another girl, yeah. So there's a misunderstanding, and instead she takes up with this kind of greasy-looking youth. <laughs> <laughs> Greasy mustache is how I described him. Okay, so my note about this scene. I was like, am and, I in dirty dancing suddenly? <laughs> what the hell is going on? But okay, so I actually think so. This is you know what what is revealed during this. This part is the flashback while she's in the hospital getting her MRI. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, and it's like driven by her now two angels. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Like, I think that the story would have been stronger if the sweetheart boyfriend was the dad in the pregnancy and that the misunderstanding and the responsibility of the dad lie with him not telling, like, like, Baranski's not allowed to tell the high school boyfriend that he's the father. Okay. The dad prevents him from seeing her. Right. And he thinks we had a one night stand and now she won't talk to me. And she mm. is like, you abandoned me when I, I, I had this baby, I wasn't allowed to tell you. I think the emotional depth there and their relationship and their like building and rebuilding would be so much stronger. Also way more believable of the character of somebody who's like really responsible. This is her first dance. She's like very in love with the boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Like teen pregnancies don't happen because you like see a greasy guy with a mustache at a dance. They happen because unless it's fast times at Richmond High, yeah. Yeah. I mean like it's like, but I just kind of felt like, you know, so she's like her her over narration is like, I made a choice that night that changed my life. Or she I can't remember question. if she says she regrets it or not, but or I think she said that I would live to regret. And I'm like this whole arc about the teen pregnancy, I think, just would be so much more grounded if it was about the boyfriend. And then, you you know, because of how 
the dad intervenes, you could have still had this misunderstanding where he never knows he even fathered a child. And well, that, I mean, that's he's a never that been allowed to tell him. been used over the years, for sure. Yeah. So I just think that, like, I mean, they're both tropes, but I think that that one has more of a rich... Well, and I think, like, in this, this flashback is really quite dark and i think yeah, it's my, serious it's very serious like think of how traumatic it would be to be a teen to be a pregnant teen and deliver a baby and have it taken away against your will like that is fucking traumatic man yeah. i'm so I, intense i really felt like and then the whole the whole line of forgiveness of her dad is that she never saw that her dad was also sad Mm. She didn't understand that her dad was, quote, doing it for her she, own good. Exactly. She has a line about how, I see now he thought he was doing what was right. So, yeah, it's, it does, Kristen Baranski is so amazing in how, look at us all discussing, trying to figure out, you know, the nuances of these emotions that she brought up just with that line. I don't think she does forgive him, but yeah. I think she understands. I just felt like, I just felt like that I, I wanted more from that, like, you know, the dad gives, the dad is the one that, like, takes the baby and then gives it to the, um, you know, whatever words of the state. It's so, it's so heavy-handed. Yeah. <laughs> why, it, why would he be doing it? Well, yeah, why would he be doing that? Like, but I also just, like, I'm kind of like, okay, your emotion is, like, seeing that you were sad and knowing that you were trying to protect your kid, I just feel like that wouldn't be enough for her to move past it. But the but the angels are very much like, she's gonna see this memory and then she's gonna forgive her dad. And I'm like, I just think that, yeah, I don't know. And then it, and then I think it brings up this whole like, I think, I think adoption stories are peculiar territory because they point to the question of abortion without talking about abortion. Yeah. yeah. And it's, so I think that like we end up in this really strange point where it's like, I'm like, you can't quite discern like, is this pro-life? Is it pro-choice? And well, therein, I'm just going to interrupt you, therein lies one of the main skills, powers that Dolly Parton has, which is to, like, appeal in such significant ways to both those groups of people without coming out and explicitly saying something, for better or for worse, I think. That is a significant power that she has. She has this ability to have, like, super, super right-wing, conservative, Trump-loving zealots love her music. And, and like, far, far lefties, queers, homos, like, bears. Remember when we were at her concert, mm -hmm. there was what was clearly, I think, I, were we moved to tears? We I think to tears. I might have cried two rows in front of us at this Dolly Parton concert was a group of three people and they were so clearly a triad of bears and it was just so beautiful and there's like drag queens at her shows and it's like who else as a public figure 
can be can attract people from such opposite poles of the political spectrum like she's like the least polarizing public figure i can think of and i think that this moment of like is it pro-life is it pro-choice is dolly's trying to say anything is she trying to say something in this like sneaky sort of like subtle way i think you could see it either way and i think that's like a thing that like i said for better or for worse she's really good at I think the, I think the aesthetic is also something that it, that attracts the queer audience. Like oh you, yeah, for sure. You the dry, can't dry queens along. Like the just the rhinestones on rhinestones on rhinestones. The concert that we saw, she is an like I did not know this about Dolly before we saw the concert. She is a multi instrumentalist. She played oh, yes. ten different instruments yeah. just yeah. did not set like not 10 guitars she played a fucking pan flute oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, like, <laughs> piano mandolin like the saxophone solo the saxophone solo. like and they were all white rhinestone instruments yeah. and i'm like one. yes so yeah i think that like i think there's i think there's more to it than that but i think the she's basically an american icon in terms of celebrity she's got icon status. She doesn't maybe come top of mind the way Marilyn Monroe and Elvis do, but I, I think she just has across the board appeal to basically anyone above a certain age for maybe for different reasons. I would really recommend for anyone listening, if you are interested at all in a deep dive of Dolly Parton, the podcast Dolly Parton's America. Um, it is incredible um it's interviews with her it talks about her impact it talks about like dolly parton and race dolly parton and gender mm. um like dolly parton's impact on the appalachias like it's it's really quite poignant and it goes like quite deep um it's really it's really quite amazing that's cool um so then we find out that we go to the hospital and Violet has been in a car crash. Another like really dark, really real moment. Yeah. Um, and if her- the, If there's one thing that I just deeply resent, I, I may have mentioned this before, just as a screenwriting device, I deeply, deeply, deeply resent any screenplay that uses the injury or you know, threat of death of a child to basically immediately get the audience pointed in the same direction as the characters. Mm. Um, it's just the worst emotional manipulation. And it, sometimes it can be earned absolutely, like there are times when it works, you know, movies like The Ice Storm or something, but this is not The Ice Storm. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a it, goofy musical, and the, and it's just gone very dark. Especially, especially this song that her dad sings by her bedside about that's the, like. That's when I was I, like, "Is this a Tennessee Williams play? Like, what like, is going I, on?" I understand that you need to see your mom, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. I also feel like the the tie-in that she wanted to go visit her mom's grave and that she got in a car crash on the way to visit her mom's grave like there are just so many ways that like you know and then it's sort of like is this is this horror being played out by these two angels 
like it is is this device of this child's life just so this like white lady's gonna get her act together mm. like this is you know it's, like it's meant to be inspirational yeah i just I, think, I think that's how we know that this is a christian movie not that there was any doubt i guess but this whole you know basically let go and have faith and you know everything will be fine yeah um but it's not very subtle <laughs> no but i think it goes beyond being unsubtle i think that like the 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 heavy handedness of it starts to undo itself yeah yeah um yeah, so it, it's it it feels it's not credible um so Regina has had a change of heart. She has a change of heart and there's a vigil for Violet. Um, this is the, maybe it is this song, but there at least a song around this point is where the dolly angel goes around angel dusting. So she angel dusts Violet and Violet opens her eyes. And then perhaps my favorite scene in the entire movie Angel dusts the Christian pastor's wife's uterus and she is suddenly pregnant by Jesus. Yeah, I also wrote Wasn't she the magic kid. No, she was not trying to, they're trying to conceive. They'd had fertility treatments. Hopefully, they would have, she would get pregnant. Oh, okay. The magic conception is a bit much. Like, you know, I have like maybe like 10 or 15 phone notes, not as many as Nicole's pages and pages, but that made it, that made a note because I was like, oh, no. Um, so then we go back to Regina's house. Regina has, Carl has given her this lamp that was her father's lamp that he like carved uh, her initials into. Can we talk about props for a second? Yes, please talk about props, Scott. <laughs> okay. Scott loves slash hates props. Yes. <laughs> This is a good movie for that because the lamp. The lamp. Tell us about the lamp. Uh, it's, it, well, it's just a weird prop, really. Like, <laughs> it's like they took an old mining lamp and they had to build a little base for it. It's, yeah, it's, it's weird. But, but the prop that actually probably offended me more was, did you notice up on the wall there's a painting of her dad? Yes. And it looks kind of like comedian Norm Macdonald. <laughs> With like white hair. <laughs> I the I don't is. want the I don't want to get off on a rant guy. <laughs> yeah, okay. I hope that's what it, I hope it's like a prop from his show because he had a Netflix show at one point. Oh, funny. And they yeah, just it's been recycled. Yeah. Um, so Regina opens. She finds a secret compartment on the lamp where she right. finds her, the family Bible. It's a very tiny Bible, and. Um, it has on it the name of her baby that yeah. her father gave away. Yeah. Her father is the real villain of this movie. We all know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're all we're all on board with that. Great. So then we go to the church where Margeline has started preaching, basically. Um, I wrote down what can't Margeline do? Nothing. Um, our dream this is my note. Our dream future is Dolly Parton's world in a church full of dancing gay men. So then Violet wakes up 
uh, it's announced in the church. Um, we find out that Pastor Christian is Regina's son. If it's written in a Bible, it must be true. <laughs> Which technically it is. So then we're, we're in the last scene of the movie. Um, we're in the Christmas church scene. It's like the Christmas service. Christian Pastor Christian is making his Christian Pastor Christmas speech. Whatever that's called. Pastor is kind of the worst. Talking and he like proclaims to the church audience that Regina is his mom. Why is Christine Baranski wearing white like a bride? Who or what is she marrying? Like her. her her new virtuous life. Yeah, I also was going to bring bring up this this her, her new Christianity, I suppose, because that's basically what it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to like underplay the power of. Um, I think that like I don't think we the the movie is not about this because the adoption reunite reuniting is a plot device. It's not. Mm. Um, the, uh, the emotional arc isn't there, but like, I, you know, I think like, I, I actually find it really frustrating as a plot device earlier um, when we find out that she, in the flashback that she had a baby when she was younger and that that baby was taken. I, I write down like, will there be an adoption reuniting? Um, as though there was a possibility that that wouldn't happen in this movie, yeah. which yeah. obviously was going to. But I find it really frustrating because I think that, like, for both a, like, birth parent and a child who has been adopted, like, this is, like, this is big stuff. Like, this yeah. is, like... This is life-changing. Yeah, like... I mean, it can be. Does, does Christian know that he was adopted? Did... I think he does, because in his church speech, I think he talks about growing up knowing that or his, like, adopted parents or something. Yeah, I feel like it was mentioned at one point, but yeah. it's like, true, I, like, I feel like this the, is very serious stuff that's not really getting properly... Yeah, rated. and then, yeah. and even in, the even in the world where we're, like, in campy, heavy-handed world, like, there's this scene earlier where, so Jenna's feeling like, you know, she's kind of living out the struggle of, like, her faith and um, cultural programming being at odds with her lived experience of trying to get pregnant and it's hard and it's not working. Plus she runs a baby shop. Like this is just, you know, a lot. really intense. And they have this whole interchange where he says, I'm gonna love our children like, whether they're biological or adopted, though he doesn't, he uses a much cheesier way of talking about them. I think he says, I'll love our children, however, wherever they come from. Yeah. But it's like, here's the perfect moment for him to say, I was adopted. I like, you know, either this is complicated for me because of that, or I welcome this because of that. You can have any kind of thing, but like their whole deal as a couple is navigating this hopeful pregnancy mm -hmm. and, and are talking at least hypothetically about adoption. He's adopted. But they don't make that connection. And of course you can't reveal it because it's going to make it too obvious, but like 
That's you just hit it right there. It just the, it, I just it wasn't like, the right time to reveal it. So from a, yeah, because it's like oh well, then he's so obviously going to be the adopted child. But like I don't know. I would, I think we're really missing like some opportunities because it's like everything around this storyline is a plot device, and then we miss all the opportunities for like people to have actual emotional reactions to this big thing this yeah it's, it's big it's big so are we basically saying that we resent screenplays that draw real problems where the solution is faith mm, the solution is faith or faith the, the solution is just faith just airy fairy faith I mean, I think that I would have been more satisfied with the conclusion of the problem if Regina's father had received any, like, any of the, like, grief in this movie had been directed towards him. But instead, he's just venerated from, like, beginning to end. He's still lionized at the end, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, 100%. When, like, I think that I would have been way more, like, I would have been way more on board with the emotional depth of this movie if Regina had had a moment where she was, like, I understand, like, I would even still buy, like, I understand why my father did this, I forgive him, meow, 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 if she had been, like, and it really fucked me up, and that's why when he died, I did all of these horrible things because I was so angry. Now, what if instead of her coming in at the beginning and being like, everybody get the fuck out of here in the next 24 hours. If she came in and said, everybody get the fuck out of here in the next 24 hours, I'm gonna burn this fucking tent to the ground <laughs> because my dad built it and I hate him. Oh. Wouldn't that uh, be amazing? I mean, that would be very it's different. A diff movie. It's a very different movie. She the would have an amazing- the songs would be very different. She would have an amazing villain song. Oh, I know, right? It would be like Ursula on The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they'll do a second one. Yeah, maybe she could burn down the bad mansion and just be like, I, yeah. In my hopeful dream of this town in the future, she's like, oh, the best way to deal with this town, to the headache of managing this town is to not manage it anymore. Everybody gets to buy their house. I'm, I'm gonna let Done. this eight-year-old run it. I'm gonna let this eight-year-old run it. Yeah, Violet's got it on lockdown. Yeah. You know, and I'm gonna burn down the house. <laughs> and you know, and maybe Christian becomes a satanic worshiper. <laughs> Just sure. for fun. All right. <laughs> Um, so I would say that one of my biggest criticisms, I think we've, we've all brought up, some, we've each brought up some very valid and important criticisms of this movie. Um, not of Dolly Parton, of course, but of the movie. Um, I think one that I really, it's in the, yeah, thank you, my computer's dying. Oh. Um, I think one thing that really rubbed me the wrong way in this movie um, is is really exemplified in this final church scene um, where Regina is singing her apology song and it's not clear what, to me what an amazing performance truly an amazing performance it's not clear to me what exactly 
she is apologizing for. Is she apologizing? Well, for scaring the for hell out of everyone. <laughs> is she apologizing? But see, that's the thing. Is she apologizing for trying to sell the town and like betraying so. her friends and townspeople? Or is she apologizing for getting pregnant? It's actually not super clear in the song what she's apologizing for. And I, I'm I, I guess on I just didn't get that, but maybe it's because I'm not, you know, a woman. Sure. I mean, I'm erring on the side of she's apologizing for, like, being a shit town owner and trying to evict everyone on Christmas, because I think that makes more sense and is tastes way less terrible than the alternative. But, like, I feel like there were lines in that song, and I didn't write them down, but I think that there were points in that song where it could have alluded to, like, feeling apologetic about the past, and that's like real ugly. Yeah. I think I think that what you're pointing to is like the moment where Violet is trying to take responsibility for her own mother's death. Yeah. And um uh Regina's reaction is so viscerally like, no, that wasn't your fault. Mm -hmm. Like she's apologizing to herself. Like she's telling herself it wasn't like it's her fault to get pregnant. Like that. Isn't there an explicit line from someone in the movie, maybe Dolly, about forgiving yourself and how important that is? Could or am I, I imagining this? I think we've a little bit glossed over too much Dolly and the angel. Can we just do a quick, like, do you want to talk about her final altar outfit and how much it looks like? Her final form, you mean? And her, her final, final evolution as a Pokemon, whatever she is? <laughs> Emily, you haven't finished Shit's Creek, but uh, there is a very, I know you don't care about spoilers, but I am not going to spoil the final episode of Shit's Creek for anyone I haven't right seen now. it yet either. Oh um, my god, what? And your listeners, oh my they're, not, they're expecting only spoilers about this Christmas on the square. Listen, there was no world where I was going to spoil Shit's Creek. All I'm going to say is that in the last episode of Shit's Creek, Moira Rose wears an outfit that is very similar mm. to the outfit that Dolly as the final angel altar Pokemon is wearing. Sure. <laughs> nice. And it is exquisite on of each course of them. It is. Exquisite. Yeah, I just feel like we haven't like I feel like we haven't like given enough airtime so far to uh the angel in training. Felicity. Um Felicity to Dolly like in general, yeah. like to Dolly's best performances. Yeah. Like, do, like we talked a bit about the special effects, but like listeners need to know, Dolly is in a cup holder <laughs> <laughs> as a tiny angel. <laughs> She's like giving Felicity advice while Felicity is driving. And, um, or the scene before, like, Felicity's like, oh, I'm not listening to you anymore, and, like, gets in the car and drives away, and then Dolly's kind of like, you can't ditch me, I'm Angel Dolly, and, like, shows up in the cup holder as a tiny angel, and Felicity gets frustrated, and is like, oh, and, like, shuts the little latch on the cup holder. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, like, um, like, Dolly's in the rearview mirror, and then she appears, and she, like, throws her giant rhinestone boots up into the like front seat and Regina is like oh those are so tacky but like we all know that Dolly's like the best yep like I feel like there was just like uh, the moments where there, there's this like whole scene about the 
angel rule book between Felicity <laughs> and Dolly Angel. Yeah. And then at the end of it, Dolly magically gives Felicity <laughs> uh, some coffee in her hand right at the last moment so that... So she um, can be a good personal assistant. So she can be a good personal assistant. I feel like there's like another, there's this, you know, there's an interplay around whether uh, Felicity thinks that uh, Regina is ready to talk to Hank, Frank? Carl. 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 <laughs> um, Hank Frank. And, <laughs> and it backfires. But so the, yes. I feel like there's like, you know, because these are sort of uh, like interstitial scenes, but not plot development scenes, you kind of have a Mm -hmm. But I think they're I think that they're the strongest part yeah. of the movie, and so I'm I'm like I wish that instead of remaking Christmas on the Square, this had been a movie that was like about the Dolly Parton angel and her mentee Felicity the angel in training. Oh, that coming though that coming in Felicity. as a surprise was so good and so weird <laughs> and so bad all at the same time. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of don't want to lose that in in the in the movie. I wish that we had watched, yeah. but I would really. I feel like the parts that were super successful about this movie are like almost what we haven't talked about. Uh, you mean Dolly? I wonder. I wonder how much time they actually had Dolly for. Well, I you know I thought about that. I was like, oh, they probably couldn't afford Dolly. But I also think that like. Dolly herself was probably like, this movie isn't about me. Like, it's not a vanity project, right? She's like, it's going to be fun for me to be the, like, guardian angel, like, popping in and out, kind of a trickster, but ultimately very close to Jesus. But I think she was like, the main plot of this film, like, doesn't revolve around me. Okay, so in the midst of this song where uh, Regina is apologizing for something we're hoping is her past behavior. Um, Carl has a line in this song. I know exactly what you're about to say. He calls himself grandpa. And I'm like, did you just propose to her mm -hmm. in this song by calling yourself grandpa? Backdoor to... proposal. I'm like, what the hell, Carl? What indeed? Yeah, like, also, like, Regina has had a lot going on. Her new friend, who's eight, has just magically, uh, through the power of flown-in pediatrics, made a miraculous recovery and is out of head trauma surgery hours later. Violet should absolutely not be out of the hospital. My second right? last note. Yeah. So that's big. She's found out the identity of her son. Yep. She's found out not only the identity, but like that he's here in town and talked to him. Yep. And publicly announced this to her whole community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who she just tried to evict. Who she just tried to evict 24 hours previous. Like these, this is a lot. This is life comes at you fast in, <laughs> in Dolly's town, whatever the and name of this town is. Fullerville. Fullerville. Oh, sure. Um, Fullerville. And, 
And just prior to these events, she tried to rekindle things with Carl and it went horribly. Yep. Yes. Dude, this is so deeply not the time. You forgot one. Her personal assistant is really an angel. <laughs> <laughs> A big shift for anyone to consider. That, that alone really is enough. <laughs> The, yeah, the, like the evidence Carl. that there is a Judeo-Christian God and a, and a bunch of angels flying around, like, that's enough for one day. Yeah, honestly, it's like Carl literally read the room, like, she is singing a song right now, like, even about her plight. Like, maybe I would give you, someday I want to be a grandpa. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to get to know you. I can't wait to build a life with you. I haven't stopped thinking about you for 40 years, whatever. All excellent suggestions that you're just thinking up off the top of your head. <laughs> yep. And that you're not even trying to write a song for a musical. I'm not, I'm even, not even trying to make it rhyme with paw. No, nope. I'm not even close to a movie musical writer. <laughs> well, you're All close. right. What else have you got? Uh, there's a lot of casual backflips in this movie. Oh, yeah. That, that goes very well with my final note. Oh. Oh, great. Uh, which I feel like has already been a bit overstated, but um, I love the dancing men in khakis. <laughs> I love that that's your final note. I love the dancing men in khakis. I love the dancing men in khakis. They are in every crowd scene. <laughs> you know, khakis are versatile. They allow for backflips without... I just... I just love, this is one of the things that I love about this world, despite all of the things we've critiqued tonight, is that, like, in any hubbub in town, there is a group of, like, fit, middle-aged men who are just, like, leaping with joy. It's like a 90-minute Old Navy commercial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, I found myself being like, those must be stretch khakis. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're comfortable. They must be comfortable. Those Chuck Norris pants they used wear. to make that had like an extra panel in the crotch for when you're doing splits and stuff. Yes. Yes, their shoes are the kind of, they're, they're those jazz shoes that have a break in the middle for extra pointy toes. Right. All, all the women in this uh, movie wear character shoes, the type of dance shoes that are worn in musical theater. Oh, oh yeah. 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 And, like, except Dolly's uh, amazing and outrageous shoes and probably some of Regina's shoes. And every, every extra, every, um, many, many of the main characters. Amazing. This is, no. this is a, this is a real, like, uh, uh, made, made for movie Musical theater. Musical theater trope. <laughs> yeah. My, my uh, last note is also costume related, uh, but it's about Felicity and her angel mini skirt. <laughs> oh, yes! She's got like um, these Grace Jones shoulders <laughs> and then basically nothing below the waist. <laughs> Yes, I love, I love that she wasn't wearing like a pair of like kind of Halloween wings, that the puffed shoulders were her wings. Yeah. I also felt like, I, I know that the last segment of this uh, show is 
what parts could be more queer. Yes, please. But I really loved that loving kiss on the cheek between the angels. And I was like, yes. Like, I, I love this kind of angel to angel, hot for angel grandma um, dynamic that I think just started to bloom at the end. Well, and I think what I really liked about that, like, I didn't go too deep into the, like, in my mind, the, like, fanfic, mm-hmm. like, that, like, fanfic, but I really like that Dolly, Dolly just has this vibe of, like, anti-no-homo, you know? She's, like, I think, I feel like in everything she does, it's, oh, like, yes, maybe homo. homo. Just oh, maybe? Maybe homo. Yeah. Like, sometimes me, it's, like, definitely The opposite homo. of no homo is yes homo. <laughs> yes but, homo. Yeah. So if everyone was going around, like, if, if they're checking on stuff they're, stuff they're shooting for the day, they're like, uh, Dolly, should this part be gay? She's like, yes. And they're like, okay, well, what, <laughs> yes. what, what about this part? Yeah, yeah, make that part gay, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes homo. Yes homo. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yes, I'm on board with that. I love that that newly blossomed, possibly homo moment. You know, another, I think, another inroad for a new, um, a new homo agenda yeah. in this movie would be that Violet's dad meets a loving and supportive Aww. gay partner. And then she has two dads. She would do great with two dads. I think so. She's so precocious. Yeah, they would have a what really the, well-adjusted family. What if family. the other dad was also a bartender and she didn't have to work at the bar? That Perfect. would be great. You know, or maybe they, they would wins. all play cribbage together at the bar. Aww. Yeah, three people can play cribbage. Absolutely. I love Perfect. that. Um, I mean, I think, I think this movie was pretty queer. Um, yes. Like for for the a movie alone. in its genre, the, the background dancers alone. I mean, it's a it's a traditional and, musical. And the explicitly gay. the explicitly yeah. gay characters, which were bit characters but existed. Yeah. Who the the gay barber couple? Oh yes, of course. I those were also. I think they reappeared many times as background dancers. Yes. Yeah. Um, Marjoline, who I am a hundred percent convinced is gay. Um, pansexual Felicity she's up for literally anything no Felicity oh Felicity yeah no I meant Marjorie but yeah Felicity too actually I mean angels are supposed to be non why not everyone's pansexual why not oh but I but I think that angels don't even have temporary angel but like maybe they just like fuck a rainbow with their mind oh that's true yeah I I bet angel sex is like wild yeah yeah it's, it's like maybe up, they don't have here. they don't have genitals but like they they know how to enjoy themselves oh, they've, yeah. got, they've got mind genitals oh yeah <laughs> well and mind genitals <laughs> yeah. well and a- angels i feel like aren't kind. the worst kind but i feel like angels are like not bound by like earth's problems with like restrictive gender roles and ideas about what sex is and is not like they're just fucking anything they want left right and center with their fucking angel brain genitals (laughs) (laughs) okay how do you how do you feel about felicity's characterization in the first scene where she's running behind um regina regina apologizing 
she's like, but, but like, I, I'm like, this is kind of a bad PA move because you shouldn't really apologize for your boss. Um, but like, do you feel like this is supposed to be a tell that she's actually an angel? That she's no. like super sweet and sort of like, I mean, we're maybe. just supposed to think of her but, as a flustered, we're just supposed to think of her 100% flustered PA until we're like, boom, she's an angel in training. I mean, that was the journey that I took. Right. Yeah, it, it was it was very definitely a surprise because I, I I don't think I I think I thought that Dolly was going to be the only truly divine thing in the movie. Yeah, right. So to have them basically, I'm sure there was just I'm sure it's just a matter of logistics for them. Like we've got Dolly for this much time, can we have someone else who can also do the holy stuff? Sure, we'll we'll get this girl. She'll be like the the one, the, the apprentice. But I mean, it, it also fulfills a Christmas trope anyway. That angel apprentice thing. Um, so it, yeah, it, it makes well, sense. Think, it's just we didn't see it coming. So I think it's also another movie feature that Scott, you know, I love, and you know that I love women helping women. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's the ultimate queer conundrum though it's like do you want to date them or do you want to be them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know i can see that in their dynamic for sure and like false dichotomy you know absolutely but i think it is as a dichotomy is one that repeats itself in the lives of many many queer people they're eternal creatures so i think they don't really think of sex isn't for reproduction for them ever like it's it's true relationships are very different for them i don't think i know enough about angels um okay so we've talked about how the movie was queer and could have been queerer please send us your fanfic as always um i don't think a triad would have fixed any problem in this movie because that wasn't really the conflict in the movie no I also don't know that there was a triad in this movie I was interested in seeing. Maybe Dolly, Felicity, and another angel? Yeah. That we didn't meet? Yeah, maybe like, oh, well, um, the the Barbers and Mac. And, and then Violet has three dads. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, and she can work you know, if like, it's for the better at the salon instead of at the bar. Those are both great options. I love that. They could combine Send them, us maybe. your fanfic. Have a salon bar. Or Scott, Scott writes some fanfic about this. <laughs> Rename it Triads. Ooh. <laughs> um, do we have any closing thoughts about this movie? Made by the blessed goddess of our worlds. I just wish there had been more of her. Yeah, Dolly Parton. Dolly Forever. Yeah, it made me want to watch... Oh, it made me want to watch, like, regular old Dolly Christmas specials. Yeah. Um, I don't think I want to watch this movie again. No. But but you want to watch different Dolly Christmas specials. I want to have have a festive time with Dolly. it's all her all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see her sing, like, songs that aren't part of an hour and a half long movie yeah yeah because her her parts were great and i mean they did get great people in to do everything else but the material they had to work with was not that strong i think it would have been just much more enjoyable to have dolly come out and sing a bunch of christmas standards and introduce a special guest and you know 
Well, I think we have years of back catalog uh, okay. to do that with, so. So yeah, I mean, we can for, all look forward to that this holiday season. Maybe for hardcore Dolly fans, it's it's more you know you got to see something new from her, and that's more valuable. I don't know. I mean, there was oh, there was no world where we I think I can confidently say didn't watch this movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. No world. Yeah, I think that I think that where it disappoints is that I don't unfortunately want to watch it again. Mm. Yeah. And so I like in my, in my hope when I saw that mm. Dolly was doing this Christmas movie? Christmas movie musical, I was like, great, that's going to be like my Christmas movie go-to mm. year after year. But I feel like it, it didn't get me in the cheesy feels in the right moments in the right way. Its gimmicks were fun, but then they were so incongruous with the heavy parts of the movie. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I, it, it doesn't draw me back into feeling the type of nostalgia that would draw me to watch a cheesy movie over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, nor does it have the character depth for me to say, well, this is a musical, but it's really worth it for the storytelling. <laughs> right. we're like, no, we're not hitting that mark either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's tough. I am glad I watched it the one time. Mm, mm -hmm. yes. Me too. Um, well, I'm going to wrap up this podcast by um, enlightening our listeners who might not know with a very <clears throat> important and timely Dolly Parton fact, which is that she is partially responsible for the closest thing we currently have to a COVID-19 vaccine. Mm. How so? She donated millions and millions of dollars towards the development of the COVID vaccine, yeah, which, ah, which has resulted, I think, the one that's like currently the front runner for like being the vaccine that at least much of North America will get the soonest yeah. is a direct result of her. Yeah, they, they specifically called out her funding when they announced that it was a promising candidate. She apparently does give away tons and tons of money all the time. Tons charity, of money. Which is, which is awesome. Wow. Isn't that like, so Dolly could literally save us all is what you're telling me. She is well on her way. Yeah. She did, she has, I think arguably has done more for like COVID-19 recovery than like many politicians have done yeah. at all. Yeah. So okay. just, you know, that uh, is very meaningful, I think. Mm -hmm. So Dolly forever and ever and ever. Um, we did it. Great job, everyone. You can edit that out. Emily, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. Yes, thank it you It was so such much. a joy to have you. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you or your work online yeah sure um you can find my instagram at madly visioned and uh, i have an art website which is emilydavidsonart.com great awesome scott where and, can people find you on the internet uh it, as always they can go to haste.marshall.com and that'll point them to whatever is going on. And of course, for the podcast, you can go to podcastingforatriga.com and get funded to our Patreon. 
That's where and you can find me. You're most likely to find me on on our Instagram page, Lurk, which lurking behind our social media. <laughs> um, okay, well, thanks for listening, everyone, yep. and uh, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. We're getting we're getting down there. It's December twenty first right now. That's right. It's that almost is, Christmas. That is what it is. Every day, let's get festive, everyone. Every day we get a little bit more festive. <laughs> no. Every day, more men in khakis leap through the square. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. Florence are leaping. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks, you guys. We, we did it. Thanks, Bye. Scott. You have been listening to Season 1, Episode 21 of A Podcast in a Queer Tree by Nicole Marcoux and Scott Marshall with special guest Emily Davidson. Visit apodcastinaqueertree.com for this episode's links, plus our social media and a link to our Patreon. Don't forget to play bingo along with us when you're watching holiday movies. You can find the cards at hallmarkmoviebingo.com. Our theme music is by a cake boss and a horse brain. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow. But whatever you do, we love you. Happy holidays.